0: and Welcome to Rich Sports Talk. So glad to have you in today. We have a lot on the program today. We're going to talk about the future of Seattle football, which team has primed themselves to move up in the 2018 NFL Draft to Draft A Quarterback. But first, we're going to start with the biggest domino, arguably, in the free agent class in the last few years to fall, Kirk Cousins, reportedly officially going to sign with the Minnesota Vikings, For a three-year contract that is fully guaranteed. A lot of speculation that it was down to four teams. And over the last few days, it started to get out that it was between the Jets and the Vikings. And it looks like Kirk Cousins will be going to Minnesota. And the New York Jets, who really put a lot of eggs in that basket in signing Kirk Cousins, just couldn't get the deal done. And I think this speaks a lot of volumes about... And I think that this signing really shows where Kirk Cousins is. In this stage in his career, now for obvious reasons, the New York Jets could have given him the biggest contract. They could have given him the biggest contract in the NFL. Now we don't have all the details about Minnesota, but the Jets could have easily made him the highest-paid quarterback in the league with all their abundant cap space. And to be honest, it seemed like a good fit for Kirk Cousins. It seemed like he would definitely help improve that team. They had cap space to bring in free agents around him. And more importantly, it seemed like the destination where he could be a star in the number one media market in the country, especially with the uncertainty around Eli Manning. Now, I think this has a lot to do with what has happened over the past few years in Washington and one of the big reasons why Minnesota was able to land him. Let's not forget over the last two seasons when he has gotten the franchise tag, he's been one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the league per season. So money isn't the biggest issue, and he's still going to get a very good contract from Minnesota. But what was the biggest reason why Kirk Cousins wanted to get out of Washington? Respect. He wasn't respected in that organization. Let's not forget, he was drafted in the same round as RG3. RG3 was going to be the franchise, and Kirk Cousins was going to be the backup. Kirk Cousins emerges as a very good quarterback for the Washington Redskins, makes them a playoff-viable team, throws for over 5,000 yards, and the team keeps franchise-tagging him over and over again. And even after they franchise-tag him the first time, he goes out, throws for over 5,000 yards, and the team still doesn't make the financial commitment to him. To me, it's simple. There are two reasons why he's going to Minnesota, and the first is obvious. It's a better team. The Minnesota Vikings were one win away from the Super Bowl. They have an incredibly deep roster, and they're really truly a quarterback away from being a legitimate contender in the NFC. If you had to tell me who are the two most likely teams to be back in the NFC title game, I think it's going to be the Vikings and the Eagles, I think, with their rosters, and now with Kirk Cousins. I think that the Vikings, even with Aaron Rodgers coming back to Green Bay, I still think that they are the better team in that league just for how good their roster is. But to me, the biggest reason why Kirk Cousins went wasn't just because of the potential to win. And I'll get a little bit into that and of his legacy next. But to me, he's going to be loved in Minnesota, and he is going to be the guy. I looked at the other options for Kirk Cousins, and it was very interesting. Because he's been a guy who's always been the number two guy in Washington. He's never been the bell of the ball. And when I looked at the possible free agents destinations, especially the Jets, who could have given him the money, could have given him the biggest contract, the biggest thing was he would have been the star quarterback on a team that would have been, at best, the second best team in the AFC East, but more importantly, in New York. New York is a Giants town, and no matter what the Jets do, it's, it's funny because they rhyme, the Jets and the Mets, they're always the second team in New York, when the Giants are great, And when the Yankees are great, it truly is their city. Now, I know a lot of Mets fans and Jets fans will disagree with that, but it's true because of the success of both organizations, but it's clear in terms of the popularity, when those two teams are good, they own the city. And in my opinion, I think Kirk Cousins was just tired of being that second person, that second guy, that second footnote that he was the guy drafted after RG3 in Washington, that he was the backup. In Minnesota, he will be loved. This is a team that hasn't had truly a great quarterback since Fran Tarkenton in the late 60s, and outside of two decent years from Brett Favre in the mid-2000s. And in Minnesota, he has the chance to be the greatest Vikings quarterback of all time. Even though Fran Tarkenton was a Hall of Fame quarterback, that was back in the 1960s and 70s. For now, the Vikings have a team that has the roster to compete for a Super Bowl, Do I think Kirk Cousins makes him a favorite to win that Super Bowl? No. But I do think that they are still in that conversation just with how good that defense is. And now they have a viable quarterback. For Kirk Cousins, he wants to be the guy. That was the problem in Washington. They didn't tell him he was the guy. They didn't give him that franchise quarterback contract that said, We fully believe in you and you're our guy. Even if he went to New York and got all that money, he would have been the second quarterback in that city. If Eli stayed for another two or three years, no matter what Kirk Cousins did, unless he won a Super Bowl, which with the Jets, let's be honest, he could probably make them a playoff team. That would probably be the extent of it, a borderline playoff team. At least with Minnesota, he knows he has a great shot to make it into the postseason and compete, which leads to my next point, and the most obvious he wants to win. For Kirk Cousins, he's not going to get respected in this league until he wins, and wins in the postseason. People don't care about the 5,000-yard seasons he's had. People don't care about the success he's had in Washington with a roster that's been mediocre at best some years. It's all about winning. There's always a yeah, but with Kirk Cousins. We judge every quarterback now on how successful they are with winning. Now, to be fair, I think Kirk Cousins has had a very successful career, being a mid-round draft pick to being a successful starting quarterback in the NFL. He has started close to 50 games and has been extremely productive in those games. I think in Minnesota, he will continue to do that. I project he'll be over a 5,000-yard passer yet again. Let's not kid ourselves either. He's going because he knows he needs to win for his legacy. Kirk Cousins is not going to be respected until he makes some deep runs in the postseason. And I don't think he'll really get respected until he wins a Super Bowl. Now, could he win a Super Bowl in Minnesota? With that roster, it's possible. But if he turns the Vikings into a perennial deep playoff team where they're constantly competing in the NFC title game and can make it to a Super Bowl. I think that that puts him into the argument that he is one of the better quarterbacks in this league and has to be well-respected. It's all about respect for Kirk Cousins. That's why he's left Washington. It's a franchise that franchise tagged him twice, didn't give him the long-term deal, and traded for Alex Smith, an older version of what he is. I think this is a great sign for Minnesota. This is a great sign for Minnesota because they maxed out on what Case Keenum gave them last year. They had a big question with Teddy Bridgewater, and Sam Bradford was always constantly hurt. Even last season, their biggest question was quarterback. Now at least they have a solid B quarterback to take over with a decent offensive line, good running game, good weapons on the outside. And Kirk Cousins has proven to you That when he has good weapons on the outside, like he will have in Minnesota with good wide receivers and tight ends, he can move the football. He'll be indoors in that indoor facility, which will only help his numbers as well, going against defenses in Green Bay, Detroit, and Chicago that, while they have some talent, aren't exactly the best defenses in the world. I think Minnesota has put themselves in a position, despite an incredibly difficult schedule next year, to compete for that NFC North title, and more importantly trying to get a first-round buy in the postseason. They have a great defense, good coach, and now they have a solid answer at quarterback. In the end, though, Kirk Cousins made it clear. It wasn't about the money, because if it was about the money, he would have gone to New York. For him, it's about earning the respect he feels he deserves, about getting the admiration he feels he deserves being the guy that he will be in Minnesota, It's a win-win. Kirk Cousins gets a team that he can compete in the postseason with. And for Minnesota, that big question mark around the quarterback position is filled. And the real loser is the New York Jets, who unfortunately put all their eggs in the Kirk Cousins basket and now find themselves in a no-win position. If they stay at their sixth pick, they probably won't get one of the better quarterbacks in this draft. And if they decide to trade up for a franchise quarterback, it could cost them multiple picks in their future, And that could be bad news because one team has made a strong push that they're going after one of these quarterbacks and now has more ammo to move up over the New York Jets in the draft. That's all coming up next on Rich Sports Talk, broadcasting line on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spreaker, and, of course, the TuneIn Radio app. So glad to have you in. Of course, if you'd like to get on the show, have any questions, please email us, richsportstalk at gmail.com. Just a reminder, we also have our first mock draft up. The second one coming later this week, going to have a few trades in this mock draft it's going to be the wrap-up after the combine who's falling who's rising and what teams are going to go where some quarterback shuffling a lot of quarterbacks off the board in the first one but you'll see there's going to be a major mix-up in this year's in this draft coming up all that much more rich sports talk coming up next what's that mystery team that could jump in front of the jets and multiple teams now in the NFL draft with moves they've made in the last week and later, we'll talk about the Seattle Seahawks. A lot of people keep telling me it was the politics that broke it up, but you have to dig deeper to find the true root of the problem. All that and much more. At Rich Sports Talk after this. It's very interesting because I think one team that we need to really be talking about in this NFL offseason with what they have done is the Buffalo Bills. Now, to me, Buffalo is the most fascinating team this offseason because of the moves they have made. Now, I really felt Buffalo was going to trade up in the draft to try to get a quarterback. However, they have tipped their hand and basically have told the league and all those teams in the top five, top three, we're trading up. Get your offers ready because they have made a bunch of moves to assure themselves. Now, coming in, they had a bunch of picks, including two first-round picks, the 21st and the 22nd. However, they have now swapped picks with the Bengals. They move up to 12. They have the 22nd pick in the first round, two second-round picks, two third-round picks, including a couple of second-round picks next year. They have the ammo to go up, and this has to be terrifying for teams that might have been hoping that a quarterback might fall them, maybe the New York Jets at number six. And don't forget... This is a team, they just traded Tyrod Taylor to Cleveland. Why did they do that? Because they are signaling that they want a new franchise quarterback. And I think that one interesting partner could be the Browns. Don't forget, the Browns have that fourth pick in the draft. And that could be something that the Browns could say, we could get multiple picks if we get our franchise quarterback at one. I still am not told they're going to get Shaquan Barkley. I know a lot of people are now starting to think that they're going to go that direction. I don't see that. See, Buffalo has made put themselves in a position to be successful because originally with the 21st and 22nd pick in the first round, it would have been hard to move up. Even the Jets had seemingly more ammo, even with less picks, because at least the Jets in this year's draft could sell the 6th pick, sell the 5th pick in the second round, and then they also had the mid-second round pick that they got in the Seattle Seahawks trade with Sheldon Rich the midseason. So they had higher draft picks. Maybe not as many picks, but higher draft picks to move up in the draft. Now the Bills have all those draft picks this year. Two first rounds, two second rounds, two third rounds. And they also have multiple picks next year. And this is a roster that's deeper than the Jets. So they have the potential to make this move without as many repercussions. Because if the Jets... And I understand the importance of a quarterback, but if the Jets give up multiple picks to move up into the draft, move up to get that quarterback, the Jets are going to have a big problem because they're not going to have a lot of draft picks to really rebuild this roster, and they're going to have to go the free agent route, which they can do. And I think that's another reason they clear the cap is just in case they couldn't get a a Kirk Cousins that they could bring in maybe a Teddy Bridgewater, bring back Josh McCown, and then fill those holes via free agency. I think you're going to see them be even hyper-aggressive trying to fill up that offensive line, some of the defensive secondary, tight end wide receiver. But it will be interesting. I think Buffalo is the team to watch because now they have all that ammo. And you can't tell me they're comfortable going with Nathan Peterman next year after the year he had. They had Tyrod Taylor with them. Decent salary. He could have at least been a bridge quarterback next year. They've traded him out. Do I see them maybe trying to get a veteran in there? I don't think they're going to break the bank for Case Keenum. It looks like he's going to go to uh, Denver. I I just don't see them really being comfortable with Teddy Bridgewater. There's a couple of veterans that they can maybe go out and get, but I think that they have made it abundantly clear. They're moving up into the top five. Uh, I mean, we can talk about the trade partners. Giants could be a possibility if they feel uncomfortable about moving on from Eli Manning. They'll get multiple picks to help build the roster around Eli if they want to make one more run the next two, three years. You have the Colts who have one of the worst rosters in the league who could use all those picks. And then you have, of course, the Browns at four who could use all those picks as well. And if the Broncos could find a veteran quarterback and they don't love the quarterbacks that are available, they might decide, okay, we might move out of 5-2 and move back later in the draft. I mean, there's a lot of intriguing prospects. They could go with Donald. They could go with Rosen. I think Josh Allen fits in Buffalo because of that big arm and playing in the bad weather. Uh, Maybe they really like Baker Mayfield. I'm not a big fan of Baker Mayfield. But to me, the Bills are the team to talk about in this year's draft because they have made the moves over the past few weeks to get more draft capital, to move up in the first round. It reminds me what the Eagles did a couple years ago with Carson Wentz. Don't forget, that offseason, what did they do? One of the deals they made was to move up and get the 8th pick in the draft. So it gave them the revenue to move up to 2 to get Carson Wentz. So this is very similar to what Philadelphia did. We weren't talking about a lot that they moved up slightly in the first round. We thought it would just be, okay, they're going to get a better player. And now at least they're in the top 10. But they were carefully maneuvering their way to the top of the draft gaining that draft capital and the Eagles were able to move up and get Carson Wentz I think you're going to see that with the Buffalo Bills that they're going to draft the quarterback the question is how many picks are they going to give up and where are they going to end up but it's clear to me they're going to in some way or fashion get into the top five possibly the top three in the draft in April. Coming up next, it's Boomless in Seattle. The Legion of Boom is no more, with Richard Sherman being released by the Seahawks. The Michael Bennett trade also shaking up the Seattle defense. A lot of people thinking it was the players. But to me, that there is a different route to the entire problem. We'll get into that up next, Rich Sports Talk. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Rich Sports Talk, broadcasting live on the TuneIn radio app. We're also available on iTunes, Spreaker, and, of course, on SoundCloud, just remember to subscribe and follow to listen to our weekly content. We have a lot of great shows, including mock NFL drafts up until April. We're going to have our second one rolling out later this week, including some trade-ups, including Buffalo Bills fans. You're going to want to see where I have your team projected to trade up and draft a hopeful franchise quarterback. All that and much more. We're going to break that all down later this week. And, of course, if you'd like to get in contact with me at the show... You can always email us, talk at gmail.com. We would love to get you and your opinions on the air. Now, to close out the show today, I've heard a lot of this this week, that Seattle's run is over, that the Seahawks are in complete rebuild mode. than... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Timeout, timeout, timeout. I'm going to break down in a few reasons why Seattle's run isn't over and that Seattle isn't completely jumping the shark. However, it is very interesting... That we're all focusing on the politics that broke this team up, but we're not really getting to the root of the problem. Winston Churchill, once famous, said, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it, and it's happened again in Seattle. What am I talking about? I am talking about Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll is one of those coaches that he is great in the short term, but the long term... He has not been able to find success. We've seen this before. He was a shot of adrenaline to the New England Patriots. And then after a few seasons, he lost that program. He turned USC into one of the greatest dynasties in college football. And then it petered out immediately. And now in Seattle, we're seeing this again. Early success, long-term questions for Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll reminds me of a lot of these high-energy coaches. You see them with Rex Ryan, Pete Carroll, these quote-unquote player coaches. And they're great in the short term. These coaches are great. Pete Carroll, Rex Ryan, these high-energy coaches, these player coaches, they're great in the short term. Hey, we're going to let you be you. We're going to let you speak out. We're all going to be together. This is going to be fantastic. We're going to bring this new energy and the players buy in in the short term, but... Who are the most successful coaches in the NFL? They're not usually these high-energy guys. They're meticulous, methodical. They have systems. They're not the fun coaches. See, coaches like this are great in the short term, but the ones that last in the long term, they're the ones with systems and are organized and are hard on players. Let me put it this way. Just remember this. If you're a parent... It's a lot easier to be the strict parent and get easier than be that fun parent. And then when you try to get serious and rein in your kids, they don't respect you because they know, they know, they know they can get away with things. That's the same with coaches in the NFL. And Pete Carroll is one of those coaches. You've seen it the last few years. He's tried to get a little bit more serious with his players. But you know when you give your players that much power and that much of a voice in the room, they're not going to listen. That's why Seattle's blowing this team up, is to get younger players in who don't have that voice in the locker room to try to give Pete some more control. It works in the short term. Players will buy into that. But in the long term, ask Tom Coughlin, ask Bill Belichick, ask the great coaches. It's easier to be a hard coach on a player than get easier, like Tom Coughlin did with the Giants, and it helped him win two Super Bowls. Than being the fun coach and trying to say, okay guys, now we have to get serious. And that's Pete's problem. And it's happened time and time and time again. Einstein always said the definition of insanity was doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And that's what's happening with Pete Carroll. Now, I do have some good news for Seattle, which I'll get to in a sec. But for Pete Carroll, this is a crucial crossroads in his career. Now, he is an older coach. He's over 70 years old. So I'm not sure how much longer he wants to be a head coach in the NFL. But if he wants to be a coach for the next five years, they're reshuffling the deck for you to bring in some younger players. And you do very well communicating with these young players. But I think he's going to have to make an adjustment be a little bit stricter, be a little bit more help, holding players more accountable because we've seen what happened in Seattle. And this whole thing really unraveled in Super Bowl Forty Nine. The problem with that Super Bowl was when Pete Carroll decided to throw that ball in the one-yard line because he lost a lot of players, and don't kid yourself, he did. Because he spoke to trust your players. You have to believe in your players. And the heart and soul of the team at the time was Marshawn Lynch. And he showed that he didn't trust him by giving the ball on the one-yard line. Now, a lot of players never got over it. And you still hear about it to this day that they misjudge the play calling. They don't agree with the offensive coordinator. And that there's a strife in Seattle between the defense and the offense. There isn't trust. They don't have a system. When you look at Seattle, they've underachieved. You look at that roster, a couple of possible Hall of Famers on that team, they should have probably won that Super Bowl. They should have run probably maybe even a third Super Bowl. But they didn't. Why? Because they gave players too much power. The players felt that they ran the show, not the team. And when the coaches messed up in that Super Bowl, they didn't trust the coaching staff. There's always been a rift between that defense and that offense and the play calling. You've heard it from those defensive players that they do not agree with the Seattle playoffs. That they don't agree with the play calls in the offense. I do think Pete Carroll is a great coach, don't get me wrong. But I do think you're going to have to look at the long-term future of the Seahawks. And it'll be very interesting. I think that they do have a great scouting system in place and they do have the franchise quarterback But is Pete Carroll, the long-term answer, how he reacts and adapts now, he's going to have new players in, hopefully younger players for that organization. If he can adapt and just change a little bit, be a little bit more accountable with the players, I think he could definitely be successful. But it will be interesting because we've seen this before with Pete Carroll. Great early success, and then later on in the career he starts to lose the players in those cities. And... Don't forget, we've seen this before with coaches, too. Remember when he dominated the Pac-12? What happened? Pac-12 got better coaches. Jim Harbaugh and Chip Kelly came into the conference. Now look what's happening in the NFC West. Seahawks don't have that dominance anymore. Look at the quarterbacks that are now in that division. You have Jimmy Garoppolo and you have Jared Goff now in this position. True franchise quarterbacks were in the last couple of years. San Francisco and Los Angeles and St. Louis They've been dumpster fires with their roster, and especially at the quarterback position. And oh, by the way, you look at the coaches now in this division. You have Shanahan in San Francisco, and you now have Sean McVay in Los Angeles, two of the best young offensive minds in football. So you have to keep that in mind. It's very interesting. History repeats itself, and Pete Carroll's going to have to adapt. Luckily, he's got a great front office and a franchise quarterback. But Pete Carroll's going to have to adapt or else the Seahawks might be looking to find a new head coach in the next few seasons. That's going to do it for this episode of Rich Sports Talk. So glad to have you on. Later this week, we will have our second mock draft. We'll wrap up NFL free agency. So a lot of football coming this way. We'll also get into the NBA as we start getting close to the playoffs. We can start looking at the possible playoff matches. Also, LeBron James starting to hint... Maybe he's going to look for a new address next season, so we'll definitely get into that. But you can always follow us on SoundCloud, Spreaker, TuneIn, and iTunes Follow, whatever is your easiest convenience. We love for you to follow and subscribe whenever you can. Also, just a reminder, if you'd like to get on the show, if you have any questions or if you have any comments, please email them to us, richsportstalk at gmail.com. That's richsportstalk at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining us today. Looking forward to seeing you next time. I'm Nolan Rich. Have a great day.